Yes, everyone, thank you for tuning in. Special podcast for you today. And it marks three years since I launched in 2020 on the 22nd of June, just after solstice. And I hope you, on that note, had a good one. Really powerful time of year. Lots of energy flying around. So I hope you're harnessing it as the busyness takes over people's agendas. I just urge you to take a moment, take a, take a day to just really appreciate how far you've come on your own journey, how resilient you are, how your experiences shape that resiliency. This podcast for me has been incredibly beneficial to my life. I'm eternally grateful for everyone that's came on, given me their time, shared their wisdom, their stories, their vulnerability, their truth, their transparency, their transformation. I've had some outstanding conversations but essentially I just wanted to honor that and speak to it because it continues to fulfill me incredibly excited to take you even further and deeper on this journey with me as we delve into many rabbit holes and reconnect to life in meaningful and fulfilling ways that's what the podcast symbolizes to me it's really growing its roots in that getting people on are really shaping their lives and others in a way that I find incredibly inspiring, beneficial, not just to themselves, but to the greater whole. And Eddie Elsie, I've only met him once, but we had an amazing conversation, as you are about to experience. And he's another person that's doing things in this way. The foundations of this episode are really in how to bring spirituality to the mainstream, how we can be connecting with spiritual traditions, lineages, in a practical and grounded way, how we can make this more accessible to people. And if you really let that sit, that is really going to be so beneficial, more beneficial than just that doing your thing, your practice for you. It's been a big theme lately around this connection to the whole, the, the collective, and how we are showing up for that, not just concentrating so much on our own journey and our own healing path that's important but it comes at a cost and we tap into some of these things in the podcast so I don't want to go on too much here I just want to let you know that Eddie Elsie is a shamanic practitioner and he's focused on making authentic spiritual wellness accessible to those living in the modern world he started a brand called Street Spirituality about five years ago to help bridge the gaps between ancient knowledge and contemporary life and he's currently in Mongolia. Hopefully, I'm going to have a Instagram live with him over the coming days if you're listening to this on launch. And you'll always be able to view that. Starting a new tradition on the podcast, so however I get on, I will then the following release day, I'll get them on my Instagram and chat over some questions and have more of an interaction. So you can tune in for that if you are about we touched on some phenomenal topics and I hope I challenged him. I feel like I did, but equally it was a great conversation and he always added such a grounded answer to most of my questions. So, and honest as well, honest about the things he doesn't know, but puts forward his opinion and is not afraid of that. So I appreciate and respect him for all that he gave to this conversation. Now over to the sponsors, XL Coffee. I was recently at the Health Optimization Summit with them uh, last weekend and they absolutely smashed it. They were the sponsors and they handed out coffee to probably thousands of people and they're really fighting the fight for making healthy coffee more accessible. 
more affordable and just more honest as a brand. They have incredible values and I appreciate them and their coffee so much. Not sure I've ever felt this much love and connection to a coffee brand. I'm sure like you, you've tried a lot. Anyway, use the code CGP or click the link in the description to receive 10% off your first purchase on a fully flexible cancel anytime subscription. Wild Soul Sandals. Next week I'm off to see Wild Soul Tom at the headquarters in Sheffield. Cannot wait for that encounter. These guys are helping people reconnect to the natural world, the earth that we are in contact with all the time. They're helping people connect with community as well. It's definitely a big pillar of their brand, community, and how they're going to interconnect many people along the way. They've got tons of value-driven influencers on their website just saying how much they cannot take them off their feet. They are just like the things missing from your feet. They're phenomenal. Can't wait to see Tom next week. He's going to give me a new pair because I've never had the branded version. Always had the prototype. So looking forward to that. I'm going to share some content and maybe we will collab on a little reel or something when we go out for a run. Anyway, Wild Soul Sandals, if you're in the market for some barefoot running, walking, playing, swimming, whatever the weather, sandals, then please use the code CGP10 at checkout for 10% off. Or there's a link in there as well. Awesome. Thank you for making it through this intro. I know you're going to love this episode. If you do, please share it with someone. That is one easy, cheap, free way to enhance the growth of this podcast. Pop it in some WhatsApp groups that you're a part of, and I'd appreciate that so much. You can, of course, watch this episode on YouTube. It's always there on the channel. Please subscribe if you do. And also, I have a Patreon account. This podcast is funded by myself and it really takes a lot of my time money and energy so please if you do get value and you have got value from this podcast think about becoming a patreon sponsor it's a big way that i can alleviate some of the time and allow myself to spend more time getting bigger and more impactful guests so without further ado eddie alci on the podcast enjoy It's your comfort zone, talking. <laughs> it seems to be. <laughs> yeah. It seems to be. I'm okay uh, talking, yeah. About certain things. Mm. Yeah. I like talking about shamanism. Sure. Yeah. I think I avoid people when they say, I'm a shaman. It's been an actual pattern of my past. Maybe we can oh. enter mm-hmm. on this point. It's been a bit of a pattern for me to, for someone to, or me hear the word shaman. Yeah, and then I avoid it. I avoid them. I avoid going into it. Perhaps probably should. <laughs> Maybe it's just it's changing, shifting, and mm. you on the podcast. You know, that's not working out anymore. Um, but the fact that I used to hear it and I was just like, oh god. Yeah. And I, that's there's of course there's a reason for that. Um, perhaps because the energy that I was receiving, or I was something that I was feeling when I'd hear that person this new person say something uh along the lines of shamanic or shaman yeah that began i began to see um patterns between what that would represent for them and what was similar between them and other people i'd hear it from and then 
It is shifting though, which is interesting. And maybe that's, maybe it's me where I'm at. Maybe, you know, where, where I wasn't before and some words would trigger parts of me, but they would judge others. Yeah. For, for maybe it's them, maybe it's me, maybe it's a bit of both. But now it's shifting and I perhaps have more time for it. Or I'm just surrounding myself with more people who I align with and then when it comes up, I'm more okay with it. I think the West is the only place where people want to be shamans. If you go to a traditional culture, the last thing they want to be is a shaman. Mm. And they'll often do um, whatever it takes to not be, you know, to not accept the call. There's a glamour around shamanism in the West, which uh, there shouldn't be. Um, I have the same reaction when someone tells me that they are a shaman. I'm conflicted with the term myself. So Um, when you're at a barbecue and someone says, what do you do? I say uh, I'm a holistic therapist is my... um, Uh That's my line. It's uncomfortable. It, it, I would, I w- if it comes to it, I'm a shamanic practitioner. I utilize shamanic techniques. I'm not part of a lineage. I don't come from a culture that um, has shamanic belief. It's very new in the West. It's a very loaded term. And because of that... Mm, does it carry, is it heavy for you to carry that? Um. Yeah, I think so, but not in a sense of I feel burdened by it necessarily. But it, it there's a frustration around what people think shamanism is, both outside the spiritual community and within the spiritual community. Outside the spiritual community, people still understand the word shaman. There's something in the cultural psyche around what it is, and there's connotations which aren't true in my opinion as well in terms of who I am and definitely in a traditional context what actually a shaman is and represents and then within the spiritual community it's like this shamanism is just attached to so many different things that you know it shouldn't be in my opinion shamanism at its core is a possession based spiritual practice if there's no trance if there's no possession if the shaman isn't becoming possessed by a spirit then it's not shamanism. And that's very rare in the West that that can happen, that someone can become possessed at will via a spirit that they work with. So there's that part of it. Lots of what you see in the West is this animistic, quite uh, nature-based spirituality that's kind of focused on empowerment, which shamanism in its traditional sense isn't really shamanism is more like a science it's a very complex intricate um and hardcore version of spiritual practice it's very dangerous as well true shamanic practice um and it takes years and years and years to learn how to be a practitioner um and you know i've had a a strange journey with shamanism but you know from signing up to a course practitioner training which didn't really teach me that much so but what, what gave me this title initially what was what were you drawn to that course above others someone gave me a book on shamanism and I was really struggling and my honest you know, 
um, opinion when I read it was that this is different. This just seems a bit more me. It seems a little bit wilder. It seems a bit more down to earth. But the book I was reading wasn't, you know, looking back, really about shamanism. Again, it was about this kind of chaotic, animistic, drum, drumming around a fire, kind of empowering ritual form of spirituality. But that was my my way in. My true shamanic path started um, when I went to Mongolia, really. And why'd you go there? I don't know yet. I don't know. <laughs> and I don't mean that in a kind of woo-woo, <laughs> like, why did you go? I was very sick. Uh-huh. And I went there and I, I would say that that was my experience with true shamanism for the first time. And it was completely different. And this, I'd been a practitioner. I'd given talks on shamanism. I'd been posting on Instagram and talking about shamanism for six years but when I went to Mongolia it was like okay this is this is the the real the real deal um how do you feel looking back on some of the things you may have said or what what torch you were you were carrying for those six years how do you feel looking back do you ever scroll back for your account and look at some of the things you posted and no I never did that anyway uh-huh. I always <laughs> It always made me feel uncomfortable. Okay. Um, from day one. Uh, writing is an interesting medium. I'm, I've just written a book and I've found it really difficult because opinions and your thoughts and beliefs are these magical, interchangeable things that are so fluid. And when you, as soon as you put someone, something on a page, it, it doesn't change. And I really struggled with that. It's like, this is what I what's authentic to me now and I'm going to write it and then when I read it back it's like oh I don't necessarily fully agree with that there's parts in it there's threads which are you know a deeper truth to me but all the accoutrements to it might change a little bit and I've always found that when I write something I'm like oh okay that's uh seems like a different person wrote that mm. um so but when I when I look back I think is there anything around what beliefs have changed the ways you were doing things then? It's changed now completely or? No, not completely. It's just tightened up. Mm-hmm. It's just tightened up. I think when you um, find new knowledge, I think it's important that you're able to apply that and to see where you were going wrong, to see where you were acting from a place that was misguided. And... If you can do that, then I think there's an incredibly fertile landscape to make the change and, and to improve and to get better. Um, and that's one option. Another, another option would be to say, well, this is actually working for me, so I'm going to mm-hmm. carry on going. And I chose the first option. And so just tightening things up around running rituals, uh, what I was putting out, so as my knowledge has changed, going back and saying, actually, there's something I was wrong about. Meditation is one of them. I always had a very difficult relationship with meditation. And meditation isn't really part of shamanism. No. Um, but shamanism comes from nomadic and hunter-gatherer cultures who are much stiller than us. 
anyway. So if you practice shamanism in the West, if you come from a city like me, you do have to meditate because your natural state is vastly different. And so realizing I was wrong with that and then cultivating a daily meditation practice and things like that, bringing things in and tightening up and saying, actually, I've got so much to learn. I think before I went to Mongolia, I'd got to the stage where I knew I had a lot to learn, but I'd, I I, thought I knew what I was talking about. Mm. I would have backed myself in a conversation with someone or I would have backed my ability. And I think going to Mongolia was an, a very lucky thing because I really saw with clarity where I was actually at. Mm. And it was difficult and very, very, very humbling, but also incredibly inspiring. And I feel incredibly fortunate. And, you know, the reason I say my true shamanic path started then is because I realized how complex shamanism really is. You know, it's, it's scientific in its, in the way of setting rituals up, in the way of doing things, in the formulas, in the astrolog astrological aspect of it. And I was doing surface level mm. shamanism. So you were guiding people through shamanic practice mm. let's say teaching others different ways of living different ways of seeing themselves in the world what would you change going back if those for early years what would you have done differently because i think it's intriguing for people listening that see you and have gone on this journey like i, d I don't think that someone said to you right you can go now you you, you can go practice shamanism with other people and you can guide them through things like was that something that did happen? Was someone, you know, were you looking for that? Were you just experimenting with your journey through it and then holding the space for others? Should they want to be there? Because I think it's really important to see people's arc of their journey of how they got into teaching, into practices, guiding others through that, inviting others to be in the same space and what that kind of looks like in the early stages. Because mm -hmm. it does change for everyone. Yeah. Everyone who's really... Um, takes it on as their mission it's it gets deeper and things mm -hmm. get more rich and embedded in, in more of their truth and grounding but I think we all have to kind of I don't like the phrase fake it till we make it but there's some level of truth in that you always have to start before you're ready mm. almost to, to how are you going to know if you're good at public speaking if you don't practice public speaking yeah you know it's true but also I think as a young man my ambition got the better of me and I felt like I had a lot to give mm -hmm. um, and so I wanted to give it I wanted to you know at the at the end of my first practitioner training which was three and a bit years I started one-to-one -one healings and, and they were going great you know really good like uh, I was blown away at the like the transformation that people were going through and and, and it didn't really pump up my own ego as much as understanding, wow, this practice is amazing. And coming from where I came from, I stumbled across shamanism. My family wasn't spiritual or religious. You know, I was agnostic, really. Uh, and so shamanism in the years prior to even 
sharing it with anyone transformed my life and I suffered really terribly from acute anxiety and, and real chronic OCD that was completely debilitating and I managed to put myself back together to the point where I could function in the world again so I understood its power and I think I, I just wanted to, sh to share that and if I could go back I would probably just it's hard to say it's hard to say I was very fortunate that um, I, I always I found the idea of being authentic very, very important. And I think that protected me from doing things that would have got me in more trouble. You know, this idea of, okay, well, I'll do a 100-person event or I'll do this or I'll charge a huge amount of money and all of this stuff. I, I had this natural protection of this I, I wanted to be authentic that was really important to me and i, I didn't want to become like a pop star healer or, or or just you know and i was always trying to learn and trying to get better mm. yeah check in where you're what you're ready for and what you're not yeah it's integrity which is what i think probably you know to answer your question about mongolia probably what led me there i was hungry for something i knew that there was more i feel like i'd, I'd reached the end of a cycle and and i was just stagnating and and it was like this next step that I just couldn't get to and I was incredibly fortunate of being able to find that and open it up and actually see myself for, for who I really was with with clarity and be like okay you know there's a lot of changes that you need to make here mm -hmm. a lot and there's you are a baby on this path um so you land in Mongolia Where'd you go? Do you go get a donkey? What's the vibe? <laughs> no, land in UB, which is amazing modern modern city. <laughs> land landed in UB, um, Ulaanbaatar. I was on my own. Um, I've been put in touch with a, a, a tour guide and and um, he's also a, a shaman. Uh, and I just went on a whim. Went on a whim and. Uh, Ended up going into the north, into the Darhad Valley, you know, having these amazing experiences, which, uh, you know, to be honest, I'm not ready to talk about yet in terms of what, what actually happened and like the nitty gritty of it. Mm. Um, Did you spend time with nomadic mm -hmm. tribes there? Yeah. Yeah. In the valley, it's it's old school, really old school. And it was welcoming or was there a bit of a barrier initially? And Amazingly, uh, you know, hospitality hospitable um mm. I, I i i went with i was with all mongolian who were going there to uh, you know undertake these family rituals and to meet with the elders and to you know deal with really serious stuff and i was sort of you know tagging along like a little duckling uh not really understanding what was going on but you know being immersed in something and witnessing you know the true power of of shamanism you know these elders who you know we won't have practitioners and shamans who are as powerful as them maybe ever but if we do it's going to take generations and generations and generations you know like real real amazing capacity for for healing and understanding of, of how to work with with the other world and how that can be transformational for people and how healing it can be and 
it completely knocked me for six. You know, when I got back from Mongolia, I essentially had a breakdown. It was like, I don't know what way is up, what way is down. It was like I'd been, it's like someone had turned the lights on to the world and I, I thought that I'd been in the world. And suddenly I was like, wow, okay, I've had so much delusion for for so long. And it took a while to come back. It took a long time to stabilise after that. Um, and, you know, realising the, the responsibility of being a shamanic practitioner or a shaman or whatever you want to call it. Realising the responsibility of it and understanding the reason why in cultures that have real shamans why no one wants to be one you know why there's a real weight attached to the responsibility of it why do you think that is what do i think the why do you think there's that responsibility that's carried because there's a huge amount of sacrifice a huge amount of sacrifice you know in a lot of ways your life isn't yours it's it's something that is has to be given in service has to be and that's difficult in the west to it really be of has service you, has your life ever been yours because that's a concept really in, in a way yeah or, or maybe that's the hard part finding where you end and something else begins perhaps or you start and <laughs> the collective service type um, understanding begins and ends yeah I, I think I think to to be of service in, in and, and you know from a shamanic perspective to be that bridge between the other world and this world mm. is difficult because there's a massive type of war going on there between people's problems which are never ending and this wild spirit world of you know unimaginable power that is you're learning to work with and that's difficult from a culture that understands that from birth but to come from a culture in the west where you're second guessing yourself to whether this is actually something that is it real is it not real is it something that can be you know really trusted or am i doing the right thing you've got the even pressure from parents and friends and going to the pub and talking to people about what you do and that always having to be shallow with a lot of people and, and surface level because there's just a, a cultural disconnect between the actual role and what's happening but then also on the other side of that seeing the same sicknesses pop up and the same reasons and, and wanting to help but you know it's 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 like a bit of a maelstrom and it's difficult to stay stay grounded in that you know that's why community is such an important thing because without people that who are going through the same thing it's incredibly lonely even if people are supportive a lot of the shamanic lessons as well are a secret you can't share them you know you, you can't talk to people about them they're yours to hold and that's it and and yours to work with so that can make it more lonely you know and i think that's probably in the past 
that's one thing I'm, I would probably change. I would share less. Mm. <laughs> I would share less. Um, Maybe make that after the podcast. <laughs> Give it half an hour. Yeah. yeah. Just, will, just about specifics. and. I understand. You know. What you just said really resonates around having a very deep and eye-opening experience to put kind of meaningless but meaningful weird words to it. It's it's hard to define or even define what that feeling encapsulates. Like in, in a summary, I can't I can't do that. Like we're trying to make sense of all this. Mm. And life really. We're talking directly to life, your experience is mine, through the you know, limited language of, of, of English. It's it's challenging. Hope we hope we can, you know, get mash out something good. <laughs> yeah. It, it's challenging, but um what what you just said around that for me my experience around just traveling like a different form of of course of what you've experienced um but going off and seeing the world in a very different way um seeing what was possible spending time with people who were all about saying yes to things just constantly how do we do something we just you know yes is the answer kind of thing i was traveling for two years with those kinds of people coming back to what I've been conditioned to have what's just normalized you know it's seeing trying to hold conversations and trying to share what I'd been experiencing with no touch point no relation how I could do that with with certain people completely isolating very like hard to integrate or know how no frameworks to kind of grasp around like mm. And it, it's kind of similar in a way when you when you have a big, vast, deep experience and you just see the world in a very different way. Um, and talking about what is real and isn't real, like we have been conditioned to view the world in, in one, a couple of ways maybe. Um, and what's not, what's viewed less as even real. <laughs> It's so deep in our in our conditioned belief in this individualized, uh, very material way of living in the world. Mm. It doesn't leave room for much else. No. And I think that's why a lot of people come to, one of the reasons perhaps, a lot of people come to spirituality through trauma because they're often left with less choice around whether they believe or not and they'll give something a go because they're in so much pain well that was my way in you know suffering in my head so much and my head was not a nice place to be and thinking okay well i've done the traditional psychotherapy thing and didn't work not for me and uh, not at that time i've tried partying my symptoms away i tried to ignore them and yet here i am deeply unhappy in my early 20s what's the worst that could happen and that was my way in and so believing for me it was a little bit easier perhaps I had less uh, less reason not to it was making me feel better nothing else had and so yeah uh, and I think for a lot of people when you know there's that phrase there's no such thing as an atheist in a foxhole you know, from the war when people were being shot at and, the, and they're atheists, but they're suddenly they start praying because 
there's there's no way out and and you know like when people suffer it can often be the case and um it's a it's a it's a sad thing that we we lost our animistic worldview that at the very least you know this idea that everything is alive on a spiritual level whether it has its own soul or spirit mm -hmm. or whether it's empowered by someone else with a soul or spirit so even inanimate things your house this this van this would have a, a, a life force to it yours because you own it you know when I talk to people about animism which is where shamanism comes from animism is the oldest spiritual worldview that we know of people are like oh yeah no I, I, I get that I understand that and even people don't you say well have you ever been somewhere where you, you, you like being there they think, <laughs> they think yeah yeah I'm like well that's animism have you ever been somewhere where you really don't like being there and it gives yeah. you the heebie-jeebies and your hair and your skin stands up and they're like yeah 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 I'm like, well that's animism and so people understand that and I think it's all about um, access points. Who can explain what and how they can explain it? You know, who can be a bridge? And, and I think people need different bridges. So the more people that are able to be those bridges, the better. You know, um, and I think that's my passion, really. It, it's not to be the most powerful practitioner or, you know, I'm, I'm take my shamanic practice very seriously, but my my passion is to be a bridge for people who may not think that spirituality or, or shamanism applies to them. You know, um, this is on my path. My friends would say, Oh yeah, I can see how you I can see how you've changed, but oh, I could never go to a ceremony. I could, I could never do that. Uh, I could, I don't want to hang out with hippies or I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. And I was thinking, God, there's so much stigma around this. So much stigma and so much taboo controls people back and there doesn't need to be mm. do you think it's stigma or do you think it's it's just really hard for people to sit in a circle and speak their truth I think it depends who they're sitting with I think it depends on the, the setting and how they're going to know if they never do it well you know from my experience running men's groups I think certain people feel safe in other you know, in certain environments, and and also it takes substances to open people up. Sometimes, now I've been at, I've been at after parties, where the sharing was much deeper, much more authentic than some of the men's groups I've been at, and 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 it really depends, it really depends on on the the space, the setting, how people are feeling, who they're with, as well. So, I don't know. I think. Healing can be available everywhere. It's just finding those those keys mm -hmm. and people's way in. For sure. I think definitely there's room for that. I also feel that I've invited men that are okay with doing something new, mm. but ceremony is not for them. They're not going to do it on their own. They're not going to start doing it regularly, but they'll come because they resonate with me and... I, they trust what I say. Yeah. So yeah, there's 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 both things there as well. They also ceremony's not for them, but they'll come and and do this inner work, and do this getting out of their comfort zone just to see what comes up. Mm. The people that don't do that are avoiding. 
and they mostly it's not because it's not resonating with them but it's like it's just they're just living in a world of avoidance and mm. distraction yeah m- maybe and and maybe their time will, will, will come or, or maybe it won't and it you mm. know can't can't help everyone and um mm-hmm. can only set up the space and, and see see who arrives and see who wants to do it that could be part of the frustration as well you know wanting to knowing what would be good for someone mm, yeah where have you seen the most um what's worked the most with people that ceremony or like shamanism or spirituality isn't for them like what's been the most effective framing reframing of something that's worked quite well with people making it as practical as possible and getting them involved in the nuts and bolts of the ceremony on our retreats we joke like retreat is the wrong word because it's not relaxing it's not like a bougie bougie retreat and flowers and your food no, no, <laughs> unless one falls in from, you know, <laughs> when you're eating it in the woods. But we get people involved. We give people jobs depending on their personalities. Chopping wood, washing the rocks for the for the, the sauna, building mm. the sauna, um, digging holes, sweeping, washing up. And I, I always have in the back of my mind at the end and, and the big sharing people are going to, you know, they're going to say... Yeah, I paid money to be here and you've got me working. Like, what's the deal with that? But no one ever has. And and actually... I did that once. Really? <laughs> yeah. Buddhist monastery. Yeah. I was like, just toying with the idea of like, is that, is that actually, this actually happening? Yeah. I was just digging a trench. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We know, we've had no one. We've had no one. Um, and they say in the sharing at the end, you know, thanks for getting us involved. Mm-hmm. Because people get confused I think with ceremony when it it's just peak experience it's like some people have these mind-blowing visions and it's incredible experience some people don't and if people don't it's like well it didn't work but something about being there from the beginning and building it and getting in the community and seeing how these things are created bit by bit you know the peak experience of the ceremony is not the most important bit in my opinion the most important part is the renewal of building something physical or energetically and being there together and then feeling in it. I spent so long going to ceremonies with, you know, I bought my old bag of trauma and sat down and spent all night going through it on my own and trying to shield it from other people. And I went to this ceremony once, this all night ceremony. And I used to, uh, I used to arrive in my car. I didn't really like the small talk. I used to arrive, get changed just as it was about to start and go down and get in and take my seat and have my you know emotional baggage and do my thing and it was okay you know it was great you know I, I would ex- experience what I thought was healing and, but I'd deal with one problem and then another one would pop up mm, we've all got that friend who always is going through something <laughs> yeah and it was like whatever was causing the fear in my mind was like a spotlight it was like okay we dealt with that but what about this and it was Mm. like okay this is just this is a real slog but once I turned up as I usually do and as soon as I got in my car like the heavens opened up and it started completely just pissing it down and the fire keeper handed me a shovel and was like you got to dig a trench around the around the um, the teepee I was like really like okay so I did it and and 
dug it, I wasn't happy about it and I was the last in and I took my space and I was soaking wet and my hands were raw and bleeding. I was so uncomfortable and these ceremonies, they're uncomfortable anyway, you know, you've got to sit upright and there you go from sunset to sunrise and, you know, it's 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 an ordeal even when you're comfortable. And I was so angry for the first half an hour, hour and then people started thanking me for digging the hole, which I didn't expect that for some reason. And was it to keep the water in or something? To yeah, to, to yeah, let yeah, the water yeah. drain so it wouldn't go yeah. underneath and ruin the ceremony, which is really important because when you decide a ceremony has to go ahead, it has to go ahead. And, and so it was like a... It was like a... It, it was a big responsibility. It was just thrust upon me. Sure. And, um, and the fire started heating my skin and my clothes and my hands were tingling, but people were thanking me. And I realised... Like I wasn't actually in my head, I was in my body and I was just so thankful for people being honest and, and saying thank you and then they were praying for their own problems and crying and laughing and then the, I was just so thankful for the fire and it taught, taught me something about shamanic ceremony which is it's about being together and not digging through your mind. If you If you make shamanism a psychological exercise you're missing on a lot of the power of it. It's not psychotherapy. That's an aspect to it. And psychotherapy is amazing, but it's different. Shamanism's different. There's a magic that's created in ceremony which is impossible to explain. And when people get together and it's set up correctly and you remember what's important in life and that's often so simple. And if you can come back to the real simplicity of life and what actually is important, it's like you suddenly grow and your problems although they're still there, they seem in insignificant. And that was the most healing ceremony I ever did. And, and I'll joke with people, the most spiritual thing I've ever done is dig a hole. And, and, and that was a real light bulb moment for me. And that's important, the practical nature of getting people involved because sometimes spirituality can seem like this extracurricular thing. You need to go somewhere to do it or even be some someone to partake in it maybe you have to be have a gift you know maybe you have to be special in some way and it's not about that it, it's it's about life you know human life and living and getting together and renewing yourself through ceremony and renewing the community through ceremony so you're able to just let go of the tension you know and problems come and go but if you can keep renewing yourself and keep going along that wheel of life there's a real beauty and strength that can come from that and and that's something i really love about shamanism because it supports that it, it's very human mm -hmm. yeah a lot of our resistance creates the actual problem it's like our relationship to the things is the biggest hurdle to kind of get around mm. it kind of leads us on nicely to the, the main thing i want to talk to you about which is really this individualist collectivist conversation it's mm -hmm. it's like are these things ours and when do you start and 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 the the collective begins like where those lines are in terms of you know pathologizing even what you just touched upon it's like pathologizing psychology and like it's me sat in that very you know picture that you've 
you've articulated you sat and just dealing with your problems on your own holding holding your emotions yeah. like they're all yours what's your what are your thoughts on on that and and how can you articulate like what that feels like for you around are these things ours like how how much are we missing out on what is the cost of sitting in your yoga class on your mat and just this is for me this is for my practice and i'm doing this to feel good to feel well and it's the concentration is on me mm. which isn't the root of yoga it's not the root of many spiritual practices that people are doing but they're viewing it through this lens of this needs to be for me so i can show up better mm-hmm. and i'm not saying it's not valid but it comes at a cost and what does it what's the yeah, what's the the issues of that? What what actually comes at cost from? This is a big question. Hmm. I think generally in the West we don't understand the nature of the mind. We don't have good enough tools to understand it, and we're so imbalanced, so imbalanced. Western culture is full of different pollutions and. It, behaviors that have been normalized for years generations and to we're so individualistic like you touched upon that often those imbalances manifest in incredibly personal ways and when we experience anxiety or depression or OCD or you know other mental disturbances we often feel like we're the only people that they're happening to, I think. Even though we understand other people are anxious. It's like, well, they're not anxious like me. And they're not anxious about this. And until we have a, a really um, altered perspective of what mental health disturbances or issues are, I think that will be the case. And it's more than just coming into community and, and, and sharing. It's the whole belief around why people have mental uh, imbalances, why people are uh, unbalanced and why people can't experience their peace. And we have a long way to go. And I think that's why it's so important, in my opinion, to have a traditional spiritual practice to be connected to a lineage in some way or to tread a path that has been tried and tested for hundreds or thousands of years um, because that's the technology that we need to instill in the West people have lost a lot of faith in ancient say religions or practices that have come hand in hand with and I've done this when I look back at the way people were living, we look at it as primitive. We look at it as we look at history through the eyes of religion and that people were living delusional lives because of the issues and the disturbances that come from religion mm. and doctrines and, you know, atrocities that have been, you know, played out in the names of religion. We've thrown it all out. But you're right. It's it's interesting you say that because now you mention it, I'm like thinking of all the people that are doing those things, connecting to lineages. I think there's there's just a consistency with a lineage 
and and in the west we are so early on our spiritual adventures um you know, to put it <laughs> people talk about the druids and and the celts and 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 the druids of today are not connected in any way to the druids of the past they it's it's a recreation the same with the celts and they're doing amazing stuff and and it's very interesting but i think if you really you know take stock of where we're at spiritually we can either in my opinion you know, we have two choices. We can figure stuff out by ourselves, which might take hundreds or thousands of years, and that will come with a lot of casualties because spirituality can be dangerous, especially when people start bringing in spirits and working with spirits. We just don't have the knowledge around what we're working with, what happens, the symptoms of destroying habitat and all of the energetic connotations of being imbalanced. Um, and we also have a real hunger to work with spirit and talking about the western shamanic community it's like a badge of honor to work with spirits and to bring in big energies and it's like well there's a lot of caution that needs to be taken around that and mm. and lineages have this knowledge and so what we can also do which i think is in my opinion a, a better thing is to be very humble and, and try to form a connection with these lineages and take it step by step and trust that the knowledge that is imparted on us from them is the correct knowledge and try to instill that in our lives and, and see, you know, for yourself. My life has changed drastically since I had a traditional teacher. Drastically, in every way. Um, my own inner peace, the peace of my family, um... I joked the other day and my cat is nicer to us. <laughs> my stability, financial stability, everything, the way I breathe, the way that I walk, everything has changed because there's a loose way of practicing spirituality and then there's a very committed and stricter way, which is often when you dedicate yourself to a lineage, it's, it's a real sacrifice that you have to make. But... I think it's important and, and, and we need to sow these seeds in the West and hopefully in six, seven, eight generations they'll start to blossom and we'll have our own lineages, you know, which have been inspired by these ones and perhaps that was what happened. Do you think that's possible? Back in the day. Yeah, I do. I think it's possible. I definitely do. Um, I, th I think that, I think that's the only way mm. that it will happen. How's this going to play into the, the technology that's going to exist in eight generations, <laughs> which is this. Well, this is it. We're, we're sort of in a race against time. You know, I write in my book, there's there's different types of technology. There's scientific technology and then there's spiritual technology. And unless we develop our spiritual technology, our scientific technology is going to consume us. Mm -hmm. And we have to develop our spiritual conscientiousness. Look at things like AI. Look at things like agriculture and how we're mining and destroying the planet you know i think it's 80 percent of the world's biodiversity is stewarded by five percent of the world's population indigenous and traditional people the vast majority of them i'm not going to say all of them because i don't i don't know but the definitely the ones i know of are animist or shamanic um 
their spiritual technology allows them to live in balance because they understand that to work with this and and the imbalances that would be caused if they were to disrespect that are not worth it and you know in the west there's so much sickness because of all the imbalances and so yeah it's i think it's it's very important that we we start to come back to these traditions that have already figured stuff out spiritually mm. so if one was wanting to get a traditional teacher how would that look for someone this yeah. is the uh the difficult <laughs> and who's oh. to say someone's traditional over someone isn't what does, it, does their age factor like what's the because people will also cherry pick what they want and yeah. they won't take on it all that i feel like it gets diluted over time if there's not like a a more cultural identity around it yeah. because we'll go individually to this teacher they'll teach us things and we'll do some of it and we'll feel like we're doing all of it because we that's what we are focused on and that's yeah. all of it to us but it's um it's complex i think it feeds into like the, our cultural identity and what men are suffering with mainly which is identity of what it means to be a man it's like it's changed so quickly and people struggle because of that and we've lost our cultural identity yeah. um i think that's, a, that's one of the biggest things that and that feeds into the community like do we feel a part of something yeah. that's got us through so much like that is that is allowed in my view <laughs> people to reach 90 with a poor diet because their health comes from that identity mm -hmm. that richness of of who they are in a bigger sense. Yeah, there's a huge amount of power that comes with identity. And then alongside that identity, meaning and purpose. And if you have meaning and purpose, then suffering can become transformational. And mm. you look at all of the incredibly difficult jobs people have had that have had meaning and purpose and identity and how they can face those things. And, you know, that's a big part of therapy finding meaning in your pain you know that can be as simple as changing the perspective from i'm so anxious it means i'm terrified and i'm weak to know there's a part of you that's anxious because it's trying to protect you and you can look at that with a, 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 a you can meet that with open arm mm -hmm. and you can change this instead of trying to get this voice to just fuck off and leave you alone to saying oh thank you for protecting me you were actually the only one that was ever there for me changing that and the suffering is the same but it becomes transformational because there's purpose to it and i think a lot of men are struggling with purpose and meaning something deeper you know and i think sp the way that spirituality comes into that is spirituality can give you a guideline as to a higher purpose there's there's meaning to life, to the simple things. And I think a lot of people in the West have lost that. Meaning has become something that, unless you're doing something incredibly special, you know, unless you're incredibly rich or incredibly famous, then somehow you're a failure. If you don't have like a huge amount of attention from social media, then no one cares about you. Everything's about these like peak experiences. We're really addicted to that in the West which obviously crosses over to spirituality as well, which is you know something else we can talk about. But 
just like going back to that story of like the most spiritual thing I ever did was dig a hole. Something incredibly simple. Incredibly simple. But it had so much meaning and purpose. And so it became transformational. And so there's an equation there that we need to start bringing in to the West of, you know, if you can have something that brings you meaning, it doesn't matter actually what you do. It doesn't matter what your job is. There's something sacred about providing for your family. Mm. Being there for your friends. Being a good son or brother or father. You know, if you're talking about men. If you're really connected to the richness of life, that's more than enough. More than enough. Mm -hmm. But th there's an absence of that in our culture, I think, which it causes people to always want more. You know, desire is rampant in our culture. Capitalism, it <laughs> runs on this desire. It's like you always want more, you want more, you want more. Nothing's ever enough. And that's you'll never find your peace if there's too much desire. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, we're we're in a a, a big mess, but it, there's. I'm kind of excited about that. Mm. There's so much. So much, that can happen. I'd rather be in a mess that where we haven't tried all of the stuff that would work, rather than be in a mess and we've already tried all the stuff. That could potentially get us out of it, mm -hmm. you know. The West is very good at doing things quick when it needs to. Yeah, you absolutely. Know? So I think, and and you know, spirituality is so popular now, so popular. The Guardian published an article earlier this year: shamanism is the fastest growing religion in the UK. It's amazing. I mean, shamanism is not really religion, but people are becoming really interested in this form of worship for whatever reason. And I think that's an amazing thing. I think the important thing then is about education. You know, of what, what shamanism is, what shamanism isn't. Not that the things that shamanism isn't are any better or worse, but just to make those distinctions so people can practice in a safer way as possible. Yeah, you said earlier shamanism is dangerous. What do you mean by that? Yeah, well, shamanism is about possession. I mean, that word has, you know, different connotations, doesn't it, from all the horror films. But mm -hmm. shamanism is about... There's two things that make a culture shamanic. One is that they prescribe to an animist worldview. You know, that everything is has a life force or spirit or is empowered by something with its life force or spirit. Mm. And the second thing is that there's someone in that culture who can at will become possessed with certain spirits that they work with in order to deal with worldly issues of that community. Heal people who are sick. Find out where the animals are if they're hunt together a society. Make sure that the rain comes if they are ag agricultural, deal with luck, um, deal with the imbalances that are created by day-to-day -day life. And th and that work has to be verifiable, has to work. If it doesn't work, then it, you know, they're not considered good at what they do. So when you say make sure the rain comes, so to someone that is going to have a more 
non-shamanic way of viewing mm -hmm. what do you say to that how do you get someone how do you speak their language to justify what you're saying around the forces that are at play around our connection to those things honestly i i don't try to explain it mm -hmm. uh, or change someone's opinion that is just what shamans what part of their role is in certain communities um and that's as far as it goes i think with in terms of ex explanation you know if you if you read these anthropological books about shamanism that's what's in them because i think that's where people draw the line they hear something like that and they think this is a joke this is ridiculous because how can weather patterns be alternated by the power of your will it's like it speaks to the stuff in the bible that isn't literal but it's it's said in a literal way yeah so it's, it's people just throw it out because it's just it has the same taint yeah and and i'm not surprised mm. and um yeah i uh i don't have an answer to to the question i don't i don't know i don't know how to do it you know <laughs> i i've got no idea uh -huh. uh, but the power of our will is strong right because we can do things that um do affect life the law of attraction for example it's quite simple but it works yeah you, know, you will attract what you think about the most will That's is part of it yeah in but it's it's the ability to work with you know the, again comes back to the animist worldview the rain is animate anything that's animate can be met with mm. if you know how water the power of the sea yeah can can be uh, can be met with and you know uh, the furthest i ever go to explaining it i suppose is in the west we have scientific capability to do certain things that if you met someone who's been living in the forest for the last few thousand years you met a culture and you showed them what we had or if you told them about what we had maybe they wouldn't believe you and so if you twitch that round and you think well they've been there developing themselves spiritually for the last few thousand years we haven't maybe the things they tell us we wouldn't believe until we see it either you know, where Will probably does come into it is humans are amazing. What they set their minds to, mm -hmm. and what they dedicate themselves to. So who knows? I think there's a difference though because I th around spirit, because I'd love to talk to you about what spirit means to you in terms of um, accessing forces and energies that are, that are omnipresent, let's say. But I'd love to talk to you about that and bring that in. Because um, it's a big part of shamanism, right? Yeah, yeah. Like communicating with those forces. Um, oh, I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> what was the initial point I made? Um, yeah, I think when people get that conversation about the, the science and, and the West and then kind of turn that on its head. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. It's completely valid. Like when you've refined your own awareness, mm -hmm. the, 
things open up there's subtleties of life that you can access which if you start to measure everything that awareness dissipates and you, yeah. and you start to and you start to get a very narrowed focus on on things mm-hmm. looking at everything through a microscope it kind of it yeah it, it changes and we definitely we've definitely done a disservice to disconnecting ourselves from the world by trying to analyze everything under a microscope so we've disconnected from the from the whole i believe mm-hmm. um from doing that and that's kind of what science does it gets very much like as we always say it's like it's very much like a religion because you start to then shape the belief that the only thing is there that you can measure. Yeah. And that's also, and we, we analyze everything and that kind of feeds back into the psyche. We've, we analyze everything in the psyche through words. Yeah. What can't be analyzed is also valid. It's also there. We can't put a word to something. You can't put it in a neat box, put it on the DSM and then, throw it out there as like now we know what that is yeah i think what connects true spirituality and science is both have to be verifiable and you have to prove the outcome of both and with shamanism if the outcome can't be proven then it's not considered real in traditional cultures Mm. it's not metaphorical or symbolic it's real if someone has a tumour and they go to a shaman and the shaman does their work and the tumour doesn't disappear and they said it would, then it d- didn't work. If they don't say, actually the animals are over that hill repeatedly and they get it right every time, then it it's not considered verifiable or doesn't work it has to have real world application and spirituality in the west often doesn't have real world application it often is quite symbolic metaphorical um has a dreamlike quality to it which can be incredibly transformational as very logical and rational people in the west probably need a dose of that but you know a divination for example which is the first step of a shamanic healing Unless the information they're pulling out is correct to the T, then I would be wary of working with that person, personally, because they're, they're, they're not as good as they should should be. You work with a traditional practitioner, they'll tell you exactly what happened, when it happened, where it happened, and what has happened to, you know, to the T. You know, they pull it out of whatever divination method they have, like an X-ray. You know, not just shamanism. If you go to a Tibetan medical doctor, they'll check your pulse and tell you exactly what's wrong with you, like an MRI. Um, And 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 these forms of spirituality do exist. It's like when I went to Mongolia, my first experience with it. I was like, fucking hell. I thought shamanism was working with the deep symbolic psyche and you know my divinations before was like oh I'm seeing a tree what does a tree mean for you and it's like uh, you know someone will be like oh actually you know what does a tree mean for me oh yeah I need to stand strong in my relationship 
And it's like, okay, well, that can be transformational as well. But that wouldn't fly in traditional shamanism. It wouldn't, it wouldn't be seen as effective. It would more be like you're having issues with your relationship because they're doing this and you're doing this and this is when you met. And this is how it needs to be resolved. So it's like on point every time it has to be. And and when that happens, people find it easier to believe. Mm. Because it's like, well, there's no way they could have known that. So, okay. And again, it comes down to awareness and education and experience that people have their personal experience with spirituality. Mm-hmm. Because people don't often buy the takes a certain kind of person to be into that symbolic, metaphorical, mythological way of working with themselves. Mm. Do, you th- know? do you think that's what perpetuates the not taking spirituality seriously? Yeah. Because people take that synchronicity language and, and manifestation and and it's not based on anything concrete simplistic and, and and it's surface level and i really want to you know um you know make a point that that can still be transformational and life-changing for people but for a lot of people it's not enough mm-hmm. they're not going to buy it i love that stuff mm-hmm. but i also love lord of the rings and fantasy and, and that escapism so my first experience of shamanism, of journeying and working with my psyche and spirit guides and animals, I lapped that up because I was like, yeah, this is amazing and my life changed. But it's much more like a science, traditionally. Okay. They're not into that projection of the mind and the symbolic and finding the meaning in things. Mm. It either is or it's not. Love it. I've never met someone that's told me to a point something that they've just intuitively exactly yeah and so we've got a lot of work to do because <laughs> that's the level it has to be at you know that that's if we if people want people to take spirituality serious not just the people that are just into it then it needs to get to that point and and we as practitioners or people who are involved need to make the sacrifices to get to that point to to refine their abilities to that point Mm. what do you think is going to be the consequence of plant medicine finding its way into the western medical world this is a controversial opinion on plant medicine anyway but i don't think it's a good thing for the west in general in a lot of cases Mm. Mm. that's fair in terms of it's an it's inevitable in terms of like um drug assisted psychotherapy things like that i just i think that's going to happen i think it need to it is going to happen but what's the cons what do you think the consequences of that happening in the model that we exist in now where we're analyzing things and we we don't have this language to um or even we don't have trying to speak from me but i fear that people in that world aren't as connected to themselves and as honest and truthful as because we've all experienced that we've all experienced this rigid very masculine um energy in the medical system which is it's very stifling and it feels 
it feels tense and <laughs> and it's and I I fear it getting into the I mean just start really thinking about it recently but it's like what what are the consequences of that and what's that going to do to how people view mm. the the that healing modalities which which can be and ah we could do a whole podcast on this <laughs> honestly um you got a few things i think mm. you know just i suppose outline my position you know and i think you're talking about the difference between more indigenous style plant medicine ceremonies where it's uh looking at it from more shamanic or animist viewpoint mm. and then you've got these uh almost this crossover into western medicine where people are in a hospital setting or clinical setting. Yeah, because I think people yeah. are, are rooting for that. And and I am as well. Just to like bring certain psychoactive compounds into more available spaces. Yeah. And just change our rigid mindset around it all. That's that's what I'm up for. But then I'm like, whoa, 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 hold on. Is this necessarily like... I mean... <laughs> stats don't lie and there's a lot of good work happening in america and, and places like that like it's really really it wouldn't find its way and if it wasn't working mm -hmm. like just change just doesn't happen very quickly like that but but it's like there are consequences i'm just intrigued to get your approach it's not like it needs to consume the whole conversation well i think um i think for a lot of people it could be better for mm -hmm. them sure peak experiences like psychedelics a huge part of that is the cosmology that supports them. If you look at indigenous plant medicine, the plant medicine is the tip of the iceberg. Underneath that, it's the songs, it's the mythology, it's the food, it's the landscape around them. All of this supports that peak experience. The community aspect that understands what happens in that peak experience and that people can go through transformation and that transformation is a necessary part of life. And symbolic deaths and transitions in life and initiations are important. And so it's held underneath by a huge amount of information that's shared and has been handed down ancestrally. When people experience these peak experiences in the West and it aren't held by all of that, every now and then it can be very bad because the experience is too much it's like being plugged into the mains and then when they leave they don't have that holding they don't have the understanding they don't have that cosmology behind them so they, it's very difficult to put into action what has happened we do have i don't know if it's cosmology but we do have a history of clinical medicine and so when Perhaps that will allow people to lean into it. It really depends who it is. But if you're talking about the mainstream, maybe that is a better for them than to have these huge spiritual peak experiences, which is like this amazing firework display. And you know, people talk it's 10 years of therapy in one night, which sounds amazing, but it's sometimes hard to integrate one therapy session, <laughs> let alone 10 years. And so people fall apart after the ceremony. And a lot of my one-to-one -one work is people who have had plant medicine experiences that they can't come back from. And I've seen the damage that it can happen. And, and, and to be honest, that is pretty much always people who've gone to sit with Westerners who are offering plant medicine, not indigenous people 
or traditional people who've grown up around that medicine. But I think lots of the Western issues come from imbalances, as we spoke about. Psychedelics can imbalance, and sometimes that can shock someone out of their patterns and habits, which can be beneficial. But at some point, you have to balance yourself. And in my opinion, having used psychedelics a lot in uh, you know, a sacred sense and also not so much a sacred sense, I don't think they ever balanced me personally. So from my personal experience, I experienced a lot of amazing things, but I always had to step away from them to put into practice what I learned. And as these things get more popular, I worry that there's going to be more imbalances long-term created. And I don't know if that is a positive thing. Well, that's definitely not a positive thing, but I don't, if that is the case, mm. it might not be the case. If that outweighs the, yeah, the contrary to that. Because in an indigenous sense, it, it, it's hard to comprehend how, uh, seriously they take these medicines and how sacred they are we don't really have anything in our culture that is given the same importance um and often mm. they'll be married to the plant so it's like all right they might do a lot of ayahuasca or might do a lot of peyote but they won't touch anything else mm. and in the west people hop from ceremony to ceremony they'll do a bit of cambo here they'll do a bit of ayahuasca then they'll do a bit of wachuma and then a bit of peyote and then they'll do some mushrooms during the week and there's a lot going on <laughs> a lot the, who are these people <laughs> just a, there's a lot of ceremony hopping because yeah. it's popular and i don't know anyone who's doing that really i've i've heard stories but yeah i had a call with a guy actually who who had done two years of quite a lot of quite a lot quite a lot of ceremonies of ayahuasca mm. and the, it was a call to come on one of my men's weekends mm -hmm. and I was like, okay, so what What have you learnt? And he couldn't tell me much. And I was like, who is holding these ceremonies for you? Mm. That was my main question. I was like, because that's like, I want to have a chat with <laughs> Who's allowing you to come back? <laughs> well, you know, this is, it's, it's difficult. I think psychedelics would be good for some people and bad for others. And... I don't think people necessarily know and, and I don't know who those people are mm -hmm. who will be good for and who it won't be so it, there's a bit of uh, it's all like Russian roulette that can happen some people it may, it may be really good and some people it may not be good and they may not be able to come back mm, I think as people have tendencies towards things and people are very early on in their maybe reading certain books yeah, how many years have you spent time with yourself and you know sat with emotions and like, mm. what's that? I think language is a big part of that scaffolding and people having the the language to be able to communicate what they've gone through. Yeah. Um, like the vernacular they might use, um, mm. and the friends, close friends that they can, you know, how many people do they do they know that they could fully just be themselves around? If it's not many, then this is going to be quite hard to transition it out is. of. Um, yeah. 
is there is there anyone in the online space that you are really inspired by like doing really good work in terms in not, of not not in terms of ceremonies or just in general i'm just intrigued to if you just speak to anyone that you think is really a good question mm, i think it's important really good question i love breathe with james you know him no he's amazing he's got an amazing way about him um charlie morley mm. you heard of him i have heard of him yeah he's great he's great um god off the top of my head <laughs> or any books any books that you'd recommend I'm into a lot of uh, anthropological. I can't even fucking ever say that. Anthropological accounts of of shamanism. There's a great book called Beauty of the Primitive, mm. which is a really good book, uh, which outlines a lot of shamanic practice and then kind of cross sections it with with the modern West um, and the more New Age versions of shamanism. Mm. Um, I I love Gabor Mate. No, I'm sure you'd get that answer from a lot of people if you asked them the same question mm. <laughs> in this space. I think he offers so much hope for the West. Yeah, amazingly gentle elder. Um, I'd love to spend time with him. I'd love to spend time with him. Um, Sagioli. Father of uh, psychosynthesis. He's a remarkable man. Mm. I'm doing a psychosynthesis uh, psychotherapy training at the moment. And yeah, he's amazing. Amazing. Uh, around the same time as Freud and Jung. And had developed his own school of psychology called psychosynthesis. Um. Yeah, off the top of my head, I think that's it. I'm very ins inspired by my teacher. She's not on social media, though. Um, but I feel like I'm going back to school with shamanism, which is amazing. Really a very humbling uh, and daunting feeling. Because mm. I don't think I'd, you know took me about 50 years to be trained to the level of yeah kind of you know what you're doing mm -hmm. um and it's amazing to take on that commitment really amazing mm -hmm. do you think we take all this stuff too seriously in the west also because that's one thing i've heard a few times when you spend time with indigenous traditional cultures mm. they don't take it as seriously as people do when you sit with your cup and you're <laughs> uh, there was something i was listening to the other day that was just like after the ceremony they were just well they were laughing for out mm. chatting away and yeah like very just tongue-in-cheek and making fun and we we're very silent we're not silent but we're very stoic <laughs> yes <laughs> i think we take the wrong thing seriously okay I think you you hang out with indigenous people, they're laughing and joking a lot, but they're hard as nails. They're present. 
mm. or the people I've hung out with. Virtuous. Yeah. They understand their role in the community. The responsibility on their shoulders is huge. They take that seriously. But they're playful when it comes to spirituality. Maybe we're the opposite. Take spirituality seriously, but we don't take things outside of that serious enough. And if we gave you gave more attention to that, cultivated more discipline, more consistency in our lives, day to day lives, if we sorted out our you know, our day to day, then we could be more playful in spirituality. Um so yeah, I, I think I think perhaps we're serious in the, in the wrong place. Or we think maybe if we're serious with our spirituality and everything else will work itself out. Mm, that's, that's a big one. Whereas actually they're two separate things. And we can bring them cl as close together as, as we want and that's a really good thing. But it's that, yes, yeah, you know Jocko Willing? Mm -hmm. You know, he has that quote, doesn't he? Discipline equals freedom. Mm -hmm. And that's what it reminds me of. Um, get your life in order. For oh, that was a big lesson for me. And I went to Mongolia. Get your life in order, every part of it, from making sure you get your taxes in on time, to getting up early, to exercising, keeping your clothes clean. Jordan Peterson, <laughs> clean your clean your room. That's his thing, right? It's so true, though. Yeah, really is. You know, it really is. We've got all these elders around, you know, in the West, all these people, but. They have elements of what an elder perhaps could have. Mm -hmm. You know, I think Jordan Peterson, God, he's wise, isn't he? He's amazing, inspirational. But he doesn't have what Gabor Mate has. If you could squish them together somehow, you know, and it's because we get there. We've become very specialist, haven't we? Yeah, Everyone's great absolutely. in their own their own niche, or That's and it's really like. Point the integration of it all almost and not it doesn't need some we are generalists at heart i've always found that to be true of humans like when we start to specialize other things slip away mm -hmm. and they have to to be great at one thing you have to focus and go all in on it mastery is part of that but it's also not yeah um yeah man it's been so fun yeah. I keep i could keep going with these <laughs> little nugget questions and yeah, thanks for having me. It's been amazing. I've enjoyed it. Appreciate you. your seriousness. How how do you find the playfulness in? What do you have? What is your day to day? How is your day to day like playing? Is that a part of it? And and do you? I try to be. Uh, I'm. Yeah, good question. I'm not that playful when it comes to spirituality anymore. <laughs> anymore. Well, it used to be. That was the thing, you know. We, Mm. Go right back to the beginning of the conversation. What's changed? Tighten things up. I'm not as loose with the way that things are. You know, when we used to run fire ceremonies, for example, people would be like, oh, could I use this as an offering? Can I use this? Could I, could I be able to, could I put this on the fire? It's, you know, is this a family heirloom? Is this something that, you know, this is important to me? And, and you know, before I was like, yeah, you know, but now, the answer would be no unless it's certain things you know just really tightening up and in 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 turn this cultivates a different kind of space 
can be more uh, focused. And and so, yeah, I'm, I'm less less playful now when it comes to it. But ultimately, that's a good thing. Like I said, there's the dangers in shamanism which can be mitigated. You know, the careful's a nice word, perhaps. Yeah. It sounds like you've been a bit more careful with the intention and. That's it. It's like, you know, things, yeah. I suppose an analogy would be you can eat junk food, you can, you know, eat good food. But if you want to be the best that you can be, you should watch what you be strict, what you put in your body. And it's the same with ceremony, especially when you're feeding the spirits, feeding the fire. It's like, okay, let's, let's give them what they want rather than what we want to give them. Um, and tightening ceremony up, ritual, healings, things like that, uh, which has been a good thing. But I'm generally, you know, very playful in in my life with my wife, with my cat. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really take, yeah, that much. I try not to take things too seriously. I'm trying very hard to heed the lessons that I've been given over the last year to tighten my life up and you know, take things more seriously, but keep a playful edge as well. Mm-hmm. I try to. Um, so, yeah. I can't remember what the question was. It's all good, man. Yeah. We'll play with it. Thanks, man. I appreciate you. I appreciate you showing up to Pleasure. speak to this stuff. It's it's what I consider reconnecting people to the sacredness of life, which it is, and it's, it's there. It's in every moment. And we've from what I can see um, yeah, we've we've lost touch with that mm. and it's super important it's, it's, I love when meet people like you that are yeah redirecting us to the moment let's say yeah thank you for having me yeah it's been good Marvin. do you want to point people to maybe a book or where to find you online how to reach out sure um, so my book's coming out in January it's called Let Healing Happen it's out on, uh, with Penguin um there's pre-sales available now. Mm-hmm. If you search "let healing happen" and Eddie Elsie, Eddie with uh, two D's and a Y, um, you can find me on Instagram, Eddie Elsie. My website is Street Spirituality, as well. So between the between my website and Instagram, that'd be the best place to to reach me. Um, but get in touch. Get in touch if you're interested. Are you getting retreats coming up? Why not retreats? <laughs> Um, I I took time off retreats this year to concentrate on my book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so just one to ones at the moment, one to ones, and I'm I'm depending on when this comes out. I've got a, a online course called Demystifying the Healing Process, which is going through the undertones of healing. You know, the threefold process that we all go through when it comes to transformation to try and depersonalize it a little bit mm-hmm. um, and to see how we can or what we can seek to expect in the different stages and how we can navigate them and, and come through the other other side and that's in July um yeah that's it I'm having quite a year quite a year this year nice man yeah love it shout out to Jamie Clements do you know him yeah so he first put me in touch put me kind of on your oh on nice your page. thank you Jamie <laughs> Yeah, man. Good. It was great to chat. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's beautiful, man. Um, anything you want to leave us on? 
Any last? God, no. Uh, I don't know. doesn't have to I'm be. Always, it's all good. I'm always not good at answering <laughs> that question. It's uh, too much freedom. You need some discipline. That's it. Get in touch if you're interested <laughs> in, in shamanism. And if you're interested in practicing shamanism especially, um, mm. and you have resonated with anything we've spoken about around uh, lineages, finding a way to do it um, in a way that has been practiced for many years, and get in touch and hopefully I can help your search point you in the right direction if possible mm -hmm. beautiful man let's close the space with a hug it's my favourite <laughs> do it Thank you for listening all the way to the end, people. Please subscribe to my YouTube channel. This is the best zero-cost way to support me and the podcast. In addition, please subscribe to the podcast on Apple or Spotify. Wherever you listen to the podcast, leave also a five-star review. It helps grow the podcast tremendously. If you have any questions or comments or people you would love me to get on or even topics you want me to cover, then please say so in the comments on the YouTube channel. I check this regularly. Please check out the sponsors mentioned at the beginning, XL Coffee and Wild Soul Sandals, all in the podcast description. Two brands who I wholeheartedly support. Discount codes are available and always shoot me a message if you want to work with those brands or do anything that is creative and you have ideas, etc. There's also a link in the description where you can subscribe to my monthly newsletter where I have a book of the month and other podcast recommendations, definitely do that one because that's pretty valuable. I put a lot of time into that one. You can also get involved by donating from a little £6 per month over at Patreon. If you do so, you'll be invited on a monthly Zoom call to dive into the topics covered in the month's episode. That's exciting. If you want to share any episodes, please do so on Instagram. Tag me at the.chris.geisler, G-E-I-S-L-E-R, and tag me in your stories so I can repost. That is all. Thank you for your interest and questioning of life.